enjoyed their meal. We're going to start our question and answer period now. Um, upcoming sessions of the Council on Public Affairs are available on the website, www.sacpa.ca. And all the sessions can be heard on audio and as a podcast. So um, if you've missed a session, or there's, you could even go back three years and hear the one that Kathleen did on uh, food waste in Lethbridge. Yeah. Um, the topic, uh, let me see. Se separate microphones are in place here for uh, the audience there. So you can come up to the podium and ask questions. They should be um, short and to the point with a minimum amount of precursive uh, of, uh, introduction. And then please return to your seat after you've asked the question. Uh, I guess one, one thing I forgot to do was um, indicate that next week's topic uh, is, that's Thursday, December 5th at noon, is a topic uh, related to climate change um, as ticks increasingly migrate north. So it's Lyme disease. What are the early warning signs and is treatment effective? It's presented by Audrey Skook, who will, will be speaking from personal experience as she herself was diagnosed with Lyme's disease. So. Hopefully you can make it out next week. All right, I'll ask uh, Kathleen to come up. And uh, if you have a question, please come to the microphone on the side. Thanks, Cheryl. Hello, my name is uh, Knut Peterson. Thank you very much for coming on this snowy day. And I'm happy to report that there was very little food waste today. <laughs> And the cater did foresee that the crowd would be smaller, so they uh, adjusted the volume as well. Uh, having said that, uh, one thing you didn't talk about was uh, food waste uh, that is being eaten. You know the old saying about clean up your plate? Well, it can be argued that uh, if you don't really need to be eating that, you, you're still wasting it by eating it. Uh, and and I, I would suspect there's a large amount of food that's being eaten which is detrimental to people's health. Can you uh, say anything about that? <laughs> um, I don't know if I can say too much about that. We were actually just talking, having that same conversation at our table over lunch. Um, I mean. It, 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 I don't know. I mean, I suspect there's probably been some work to kind of quantify um, in the North American context the amount of food we eat versus the amount of food that we need. I don't have those numbers at my fingertips. That tends to be more of a discussion that occurs in the health uh, side of things, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely an argument to be made that the resources that go into the food um, are perhaps being wasted if we're eating food that we don't need. So I think, yeah, that's a very valid point for sure. Hi, thanks for your talk. Oh. My name's David Major. I'm, to me, uh, I look at, well, for example, water. 
<coughs> about 90% of the water we use in our home goes to uh, trees. So is that wasted? Uh, so I look at food and water as part of the carbon and nitrogen and water cycles. And I have a hard time understanding how you can call it waste at any time. Uh, if you have the attitude that it's all resources, then it's just being used in different ways and uh, th it's kind of like a net zero sum. So <coughs> I guess my question then is, I didn't really get the point. Like, are you, are you asking us to feed people who don't have enough money to buy their own food? Or, or like, I'm not sure I, that came through to me anyway. Can you, do you know what I mean? Uh, maybe. <laughs> like, like you're not, I don't think you're, I don't think you're asking farmers to produce food and then give it away. No. No, what and I'm saying. You don't say want them. You don't want them. Like a lot of the, if you give, if, if you give people food without them having to pay for it, then isn't everybody going to say, well, okay, <laughs> give me some too? Um, um, I don't think that's the so the argument that's being made in in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, the the. Um, I guess the argument, if there is one, is that we produce more food than we're eating, right. and we have people who are not eating, or don't have enough food to eat. So how we solve that problem, um, the point is that it's, it's not a problem that we don't have enough food for everyone. The problem right. exists somewhere else in that chain, um, and that the solution to that problem is perhaps outside my scope on the environmental side of things. Um, going to your other, your other point about, well, the water cycle is the water cycle. It is the water cycle, but we live in an extremely arid climate here in southern Alberta. Uh, we know that 83% uh, of the water that is used in the Old Man River goes to agriculture. And we've been really lucky, um, I would say, that um, we haven't faced a situation where we have to make difficult choices about do we uh, provide water to people or do we provide water to agriculture. Um, should we come to that point, um, the question I think that needs to be raised is if we're producing more food than we eat by a third, uh, is that something we should be looking at? Okay. Oh, uh, all right. That's fine. Okay, Mark Edelis, my name. I think a disturbing trend I see due to mechanization and mass production these days is that of contamination. Contamination either by microbes and sometimes pesticides. And recently, it's romaine lettuce, but we've seen how many tons and tons of uh, ground beef, steaks, in the past, watermelons, alfalfa sprouts, you name it, and the recalls. Do you have any information on really how much, and is it increasing in recent times because of this mass production and mass you know, mechanization, huge, huge amount of wasted food? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't have any specific numbers. Um, I do know that uh, certain types of crops seem to be more susceptible than others. Like you met mentioned lettuce, which seems to have a um, kind of a recurring problem, if you will. Um, and presumably that's about how it's grown and how things are being applied uh, to the crop as it's being grown. Um, is it increasing? I don't, I don't know. Um, but uh, it certainly gets lots of coverage in the news when it does happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the other thing I would sort of add is um, kind of comes down to local uh, food, which is separate from what I've talked about here, but one of the advantages of buying from local producers is you know where your food has come from and you can, uh, in a lot of cases, ask the farmer how it was produced and um, that's something that can give people more confidence for sure. Uh, my name is Graham Greenlee. I volunteer at the soup kitchen and, and I see some food there that's uh, best before it ate comes from the um, large grocery stores and it has been donated. I think you indicated that some f food that's past its best before date is sent to the landfill. So I just wonder why more of it can't be given to the food bank and the soup kitchen. Mm -hmm. Um, so one of the um, misconceptions that, that is out there is um, that there's a legal liability to grocery stores and restaurants for donating food, which is not the case. They're actually uh, protected under an act that's referred to as the Good Samaritan Act. Um, but the other flip side of that um, comes down to the perception, where um, the fear of being sued is perhaps less than the fear of ending up in the media if someone does get sick or if uh, something happens to people that way. So I think that can be a barrier um, for grocery stores or restaurants that want to donate is um, they're sort of afraid about what someone will say about them uh, if something goes wrong. Um, there's also, I think, sensitivities around um, sort of product supply uh, in terms of, the grocery stores are very closed-mouthed about um, talking about the food they do donate um, because they don't want to sort of leave that impression um, either with their customers or their suppliers that they weren't able to sell whatever um, and whatever brand of whatever it might be. Um, so there's some interesting things that go on uh, kind of behind the scenes that way for sure. Thank you, Ian Hurdle. I see a movement in Britain to go to cellulose packaging. Have you got any comments about what the best packaging is, maybe reduce our plastic use? Um, it's interesting you should bring that up. We uh, actually sat in on a presentation about um, bioplastics, which are plastics made out of um, alternatives like cornstarch and, and things like that. Um, I think the and um, feeling that we all came away with was some pretty heavy skepticism, unfortunately. Um, many of them are not uh, compostable except for under um, extreme heat, like uh, you would find in industrial compost systems and things like that. Uh, what tends to happen instead is they tend to uh, just break into smaller and smaller pieces. Uh, and so you're left with the same pro problem of microplastics that we see from other uh, plastic products. So it's, it's frustrating to have something that seems so, um, like such a step forward, but uh, it's perhaps not, uh, not getting us to where we need to be. Can I ask a question? Yes. <laughs> is, it, is it on? Can you hear me? Okay. Um, I'm, I understand uh, uh, that food waste is quite a big contributor to greenhouse gas emissions globally mm. and that one of the most important things we can do uh, to address climate change is to reduce food waste. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just wondering, is there a, has Environment Lethbridge got any plans to get that kind of a message out <laughs> or, or is it a message that would be well received? 
Yeah, I mean, I think um, we've we've certainly incorporated um, some of that into uh, things like the Wasteless website, also into our programs uh, like the Green Challenge uh, specifically. Um, I should also mention that the City of Lethbridge, uh, one of the initiatives that they have on the on the books uh, to develop over the next few years is a methane capture system for our landfill, uh, which would um, basically capture those methane emissions um, so that they're not going into the atmosphere um, as, um, as carbon emissions. Uh, so that will be a, a big step forward for us locally, for sure. <coughs> Terry Shellington, thank you very much for your presentation. Very informative and factual. I have two questions if I can sneak them past the moderator. We'll see. <laughs> see I know she's very tough. Yeah. Um, but both of them have to do with image in the, in the commercial field. And, uh, so you've described grocery stores that are very conscious of their image, um, also in, in having to have shelves that are bulging full. And, and, um, uh, and I'm wondering uh, <clears throat> if you have any suggestion about how, as a society, we would approach that. Um, the second question is around restaurants and um, portions that are too big for many people, not for some males, but for many females particularly. Um, and that, that would be a, probably an image thing too. I, I, I just wonder uh, if you have suggestions about how that can be made um, easier for for uh, retail places to manage, mm. and they're given the great concern with image. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, it's it's always very tricky uh, when you talk about human behavior because um, getting people to change their behavior is is uh, is challenging for sure. And I mean, it 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 is I think really true that both the grocery stores and the restaurants are responding to what they think people want, um, and so. Certainly on the restaurant side, I think um, part of how that changes over the long term is providing feedback back to the restaurants that, that their portions are too large. You know, if they get consistent feedback from their customers, um, presumably that would, that would make an, an impact. I mean, it's not, it's not free for them to offer bigger and bigger portions. There's, there's a cost to them, and presumably that's reflected in the, um, the pricing of their menu. Um, and I'm sure they must feel kind of this, this tension between their price point and this, what they perceive as this pr pressure to make their meals larger. Um, so I, I think on the restaurant side, that's perhaps a little bit of an easier feedback loop. Um, I, I, I don't know the, I'm not a psychologist, I don't know the psychology of what it, what it is about going into the grocery store and not wanting to buy the last thing that, um, that people feel so strongly, <laughs> um, but it is, it is very real, and it's not just grocery stores. You know, I've seen seen things with uh, farmers at farmers markets who are like, "This is my last zucchini, and I will not be able to sell it because it's the last zucchini." <laughs> um, and so they'll, you know, package it with something or bundle it with something else, and uh, to try and deal with it that way. Um, so yeah, I don't. It seems like it's a very deeply wired um, wired thing. In in a personal context, the thing you can do is to buy the last thing when you see it on the shelf. <laughs> uh, but that's a very small. Um, very small step, for sure. Am I allowed a second question? Yes, of course. Uh, Kathleen, could you talk a little bit about the green bins that uh, <laughs> may be happening? Uh, apparently, 
a year down the road maybe or, or more, depending on what happens. Uh, there's a huge potential in uh, organics uh, powering the world. Uh, waste organics could, could uh, go a long ways towards powering uh, our daily lives. Mm -hmm. uh, there's some biodigesters uh, in Latvitz and also in Chen, mm -hmm. who right now is uh, probably using manure mostly to keep it going, but they could easily handle all the organic waste coming out of Latvitz it was, if it was uh, uh, if they could receive it in a way that that uh, that they could handle. Yeah. So um, I guess with the caveat that I'm not with the city, so um, I'm I'm not directly involved in the implementation of the green bins. Uh, but the green bin um, rollout that's been proposed is very similar to the curbside recycling rollout that we all um, went through this spring. Uh, basically, um, the green bins would be available for residents to collect. Um, organic waste, uh, not just uh, food waste, but uh, lawn trimmings and things like that would also be accepted uh, with the intent of keeping them out of the landfill, um, both because they use up valuable space within the landfill, but also to reduce things like greenhouse gases and, and that kind of thing. Um, on the biodigester uh, side of things, uh, we were actually uh, took a tour um, of the Lethbridge Biogas Facility uh, last week. Um, I guess just one um, comment kind of on what you said. They do use um, liquid manure. 50% of what they put through there is liquid manure, but they do that because it's part of the process. They need that in order to keep their digesters digesting properly. Um, when we talk to them, they certainly would have the capacity to take um, organics. It would be a very, very small component of what they're currently putting through their system. Um, it seems like a large... Um, uh, tonnage for us, but for them it would be um, very, very small. Um, there are some issues, as I understand it, around contamination uh, with house, so many households contributing, you never quite know exactly what you're going to get um, in that collection system. Um, but yeah, overall, um, a green bin system for Lethbridge would certainly reduce um, waste going into the landfill, um, as well as um, greenhouse gas emissions and things like that. So there's lots of potential there for sure. Okay, Mark Gettle again. So we're talking about behavior, and it's amazing how behavior is also attached to culture. Mm -hmm. And as a child, we always had to finish everything on the plate. No dessert if there's anything left on the plate. And, you know, traveling around the world, I've found different things. For instance, in so uh, South Korea, uh, I had a, a Buddhist temple stay, and not even one grain of rice is left on the plate. Mm -hmm. Everything is taken right off. There's no waste at all. Yet, in Brasilia, my experience was kind of funny. I was at a restaurant and I ate everything on the plate and food kept coming and coming <laughs> till I couldn't eat anymore. And then I realized that if you haven't left something on your plate, it means you're not full. You right. need more food. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a cultural thing. And, and, so, and then also in my experience with people, even having people for dinner, there's some people that seem to feel that they have to leave something on the plate. And sometimes it's a substantial amount. So yeah. it's amazing how these different cultures and behaviors and how they're ingrained with some people. So anyway, that's all I have to say. Not a question, I guess, but just, <laughs> uh, just a, a story. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think um, it, 
It's true, and, and food is a, a large part of our cultural experience and how we um, engage with each other is often around food, and so there's a lot of these um, behaviors that happen that we're maybe not even conscious of until sort of someone who's kind of outside of that, um, that space comes in and uh, sort of is, is uh, struck by what's, what's happening, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Kathleen, can you give us some idea of behaviors in households uh, related to food waste and what kind of tips there might be available to people to, to reduce food waste in their home? Sure, so um, you can get uh, more detail on this on uh, the website, which is wasteless.ca. Um, but basically, um, reducing food waste in your household really uh, starts with how you plan uh, your meals and how you plan your shopping and um, you know, shopping with a list instead of wandering through the store picking things at random. Um, the more of that kind of upfront preparation you can do, um, the less food waste you're likely to have because you'll, you'll buy what you need. Um, I think the other, the other key thing is around storage and knowing how to, to store different foods so that they last as long as possible. Um, taking advantage of, of your freezer, which sounds like uh, perhaps a basic thing, uh, but even freezing things like leftovers and, and those kind of things so that you can um, extend the, the life of uh, your food as much as possible. Hi, I'm Warren and um, I'm a fourth year um, student in the University of Lethbridge, and um, I'm actually doing a research about uh, food waste. Oh, great. I don't know if you guys know Shelly with math. I, I'm doing my research with her. And so I'm ju I just have a bunch of questions. It's <laughs> very research-based. So as a, um, you mentioned that 14.5% um, of the university students like said that they mm. didn't have any food in a day. As a university student, how, what, what ways do you think we could help yeah, so that, uh, that particular number came from um, a study that was done, that was led by Aaron Phillips, who is the chaplain uh, at the university. Uh, and um, since that uh, came out, and there were many more details in that that you might wanna, um, I think it's available online somewhere. Um, so since they've done that, they have actually opened a food bank for university students called Nourish, uh, which is on campus and available to any student who needs it, so um, sometimes it's as simple as having those resources in the right spots, right? Because um, the location of our, our current food banks is not uh, adjacent to the university in, in any way, shape, or form, um, nor is it perhaps an environment that university students would feel comfortable, triple, 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 What's the first step for maybe like, if we're trying to help out? Like, where do you think the first place to help out is going to come? Specifically to food waste, yeah. you're saying? Um, I mean, I think um, one of the big things is uh, talking to uh, other students on campus about um, about food, about um, you know ways ways to prepare food and things like that. I know when I was a university student, we you know you. <laughs> it was kind of haphazard and things like that. Uh, one of the big things that university students can do, because uh, a lot of students are living uh, with roommates and things like that, is to find ways to 
um, share food between people in your household so that you're not all buying, you know, separate things of butter and separate things of eggs and, and all that kind of thing. And um, those, are, those are some really, I think, easy ways that students can help reduce their food waste. Any other questions?
struck that uh, food waste seems to be a first world problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Probably wouldn't be having this session if you lived in southern Africa, for example. <laughs> Any more questions? Well, Kathleen, thank you very much for an informative